You're listening to the Devoted Women's Podcast, where we share our recorded teachings from our Monday night Bible study. This year, we're in the book of Exodus, and we ask that you do your homework in your study book, or make sure to read the passage in the description before diving in. Happy listening. Okay, so... I'm teaching twice because I originally asked for this lesson (laughs) and then got into this lesson and was like, oh my gosh, I wrestled with this text for the whole week. Like I put some hours into wrestling with this text. I don't know that it it will pay off that y'all will be like, wow, but just know that I definitely um, was like, God, what is happening in this chapter? And these are the ones I love. That's why I wanted it, because I love the ones that have no answers and they're just weird and odd. So last week we saw God reveal himself as I am Yahweh present in your suffering and I am Yahweh your deliverer. We witnessed the perfect plan of Yahweh um, unfolding through the cast of some very beautiful and powerful women, um, women who feared and trusted God with their lives. We were introduced to Moses and got a glimpse of his desire to deliver his people from um, their slavery and bondage. And I just want to go back and pick up Exodus 2, 23 through 25 um, to start us off tonight. So during those days, during those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. So we ended last week with the people crying out and the assurance that God was very aware of their suffering and his promises to them. Tonight, God will set himself apart as I am Yahweh, your God, the one and only true God. And I am Yahweh, your calling. How beautiful that a transcendent God chooses to call out his people and invite them into relationship and also into partnership. Our prayer focus this week was Psalm 107.6. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. The plan is unfolding. The delivery begins tonight, first with Moses and then in the chapters, chapters to come with the Israelites. So we'll start in um, Exodus 3, verses 1 through 22, the burning bush. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the Midian priest, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. So Mount Horeb, also known as Mount Sinai, is the same mountain that Elijah also met with God on after he fled Jezebel. So while their circumstances were different, he too, um, in this very place, has a encounter with the manifestation of Yahweh. In Elijah's story, God uses some pretty intense elements to get Elijah's attention wind, earthquake, and fire. The signs were used to get Elijah's attention so he could hear God's voice. And guess what they talk about? 
why Elijah is hiding on this mountain instead of where God had purposed him to be, fulfilling his commission to the people of Israel who were enslaved to their sin. And like with Elijah, the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. So this phrase, angel of the Lord, is a debatable phrase. Um, they, we know that angel means messenger. So um, I think with the specific wording in four, it conv- convinces me that it's highly likely that this is what really smart and intelligent people call a theophany. And that means a visible manifestation of the invisible God. So do we have a messenger of the Lord or the Lord with a message? Either way, we see the bush here is burning, but it's not consumed. This defies all logic and natural explanations. And we see that Yahweh is self-existent and self-sufficient. He is the creator who calls the wind, shakes the earth, and starts fire however and whenever he pleases. This is the introduction to the miracles about to take place. This is a glimpse of God's glory. This should remind us not to put limits on Yahweh. He was a God without limitations then and is a God without limitations now. Let us live with less cynicism and more faith in his ability to do wondrous things. Verse 3. Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. So in the beginning verses, it says Moses was headed to the west side of the wilderness. So he saw this bush and changed his path. God sometimes uses the craziest of circumstances to get our attention. But he's always after one thing, the conversation with his people. When God, when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush. God says, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. So God has called other people in this fashion. The repetition usually implies the urgency of the message or the importance of the message. And um, it in my mind reminded me of one in my mind uh, reminded me of one instance in particular um, and that was the call to little Samuel in the book of first Samuel first uh, Samuel 310 says the Lord came stood there and called us before Samuel 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 responded speak for your servant is listening In these verses, Samuel is learning to hear God's voice, and his response is obedience and willingness to serve the Lord. Like Samuel, Moses responds willingly. Moses answers, God, here I am. Just like the prophet Isaiah does in Isaiah 6 8. Isaiah says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord asking, Who will I send? Who will go for us? I said, Here I am, send me. It amazes me to see these servants, those spokespersons of God, tied all the way back to this moment where God is calling his first prophet. Right here, right now, God is calling the very first prophet. 
And while the canon of scripture is closed and God isn't giving any new revelation to be added to his word, I want to be very clear with that tonight. There's no one right now as a prophet hearing new revelation and it's not being recorded. The Bible is done. It's it's finished. Um, we have a perfect um, written word of God. But God is definitely still speaking to his people. He is still pursuing his people through his word, the Holy Spirit and other believer, believers. Gosh, get a little water. <laughs> Then God said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet for the place which you are standing is holy ground. God is revealing himself to Moses. He is set apart, unique, one God, three persons. He is holy and worthy of praise and devotion. We see similar uh, warnings in the Bible when it comes to God's presence. In 2 Samuel 6, we have a story of the Ark of the Covenant and um, Uzzah, and he touches the Ark and he just dies. And then in Leviticus 16, two sons of Aaron draw near before the Lord in the holy place in the tabernacle, and again, they're, they're dead. This is a very real threat. And while it seems super intense, let us not forget that our holy God has an unrelenting love for his unholy people. The Bible Project does a video on God's holiness. And if you want to go watch it, it's a good one to look up. But he breaks it down really simple. It's like God is the sun. He's warm and he's comforting and he's life giving and it's pleasant He's pleasant, but if you get too close, sad. <laughs> God's transcendence and his magnificence is something that we all should celebrate. It shouldn't be something that um, is a negative for us. We want our God to be an awesome God, right? So Moses's removal of his sandals represents humility and recognition of the power that he is standing before. Servants were usually barefoot. I thought that was a really beautiful little um, tidbit there. And I hope that <clears throat> after tonight, every time you take off your shoes, you consider your call to serve a holy and set apart God. Verse six, and God said, I am the God of your father. Now, I didn't notice this on my own commentary pointed out. Usually it's fathers. And this is singular here. Um, and I want us just a minute to imagine Moses, a foreigner growing up in a palace, no father since he was placed in a basket, reunited with his mother to be taken away again at age three, a foreigner now. Who is his father? And who is he? Before we move into these excuses that Moses is going to have to not answering this call in verse 11, I want us to take a minute and really reflect on the trauma that Moses has been through. How many of us have been formed by our environment, by things that people have said to us, um, by our relationships or the lack of relationships in our lives? Trauma can have lasting effects on our bodies, on our day-to-day -day functioning and on our spiritual lives. It can leave us with a skewed view of God and ourselves. 
And I, I think it's just a really good part for me to plug in there. You guys, like every single one of us, regardless of if you had a, what we call a picture perfect childhood and life, um, things have hurt you. Things have shaped who you are. Um, and in mine probably more than a lot of you, <laughs> I don't know, but trauma is something that we deal with throughout our lifetime. And I think it's something that we need to consider really working through um, so that we can have a right picture of who God is and a right picture of who we are. And I know, um, Candace said it's okay for me to announce this. She's now doing counseling. She's taken some classes and she's doing that. She's working with me through some of my stuff. And I just think like if anyone in here needs to talk, there's we're always available. Your group leaders are available. Candace, if you need to get with her and do some deeper counseling, like it is gonna be beneficial to all of us to have a better understanding of what's going on. So, um, back to Moses. Enough about us. Just kidding. Uh, By saying, I am the God of your father. God is saying, I am the one who kept you. I put you in a baby ark, drew you from the water, brought you to this bush. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And tonight I'm going to add the God of Moses. God is claiming him. Just as he has each of us tonight, he has kept you. He is claiming you as his daughter. We are his people and he is our God. 6b says, and Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. And we're seeing that God, that Moses is really seeing God now. His eyes are open to his majesty, his omnipotence, and his glory. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Our homework pointed out um, that not only did God come down to deliver them, but according to 1 Corinthians 2.9, had a plan beyond their ability to imagine all the many things God has in store for his beloved people. It's not just being delivered. We get two um, new details. Um, Oh, wait, I jumped ahead. Sorry. So here is Yahweh come down personally to deliver his people. Last week, the cry went up. And this week, Yahweh has come down. And like I said, it's not just about delivery. We get two new details in these verses. He will deliver them, and he's going to deliver them to a land of milk and honey, meaning they are going to have these abundant resources. It's um, They're going to have rest from the striving, the ruthless work that they have been in. Um, They're going to have rest from the curse, to rely on themselves, to struggle and scratch a living from the ground. Uh, This land signifies, gosh, what is happening to me? Um, Just this beautiful um, 
place of abundant food and everything that they could need. Um, and then we have the detail of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And that represents the vastness of this land. There are so many people um, already in this land. So we know that the Israelites have grown and they have expanded and they're just multiplying like crazy. So this land is going to be large and a, a home for them to grow. Um, but I think it's also important for us to see that this isn't the only time God's people will need to be delivered. The mention of these people in this land, um, that it should remind us that they're going to go into this land and then they're going to need to be delivered again. Just like us, um, they will wrestle with the war of their flesh, the world around them, and um, the devil until Jesus returns. The kingdom of God is already, but not yet. Verse nine, and now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression with which from the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel out of Egypt. So verse 10 there, CSB translates it, therefore go, which sounds an awful like, gosh, what is happening to my mouth? Um, An awful lot like go therefore in the commission in Matthew 28. So this is Moses's commission. God came to save, but he's going to save using Moses. On Wednesday night, Tanea asked why Tanea or the robot asked um, why we think God chooses to use us instead of just taking care of business himself. Why would he choose to use Moses when he can just deliver these people? Why does he choose to use me and you when he could just take care of whatever it is that he needs taking care of? And I really think that... um, If he's almighty and all powerful and just shows his glory all day long, it wouldn't be glory at all. Mm -hmm. It would be ordinary. God wants us to display his greatness in our obedience. Don't we, do we get how amazing that is? That he could, but he wants us, he chooses us. Riken puts it like this, the sovereignty of God's grace does not make our ministry unnecessary, it makes it mandatory. The work of salvation is God's work from beginning to end. Nevertheless, God uses us as he used Moses to accomplish his saving purpose. Not only does God want to send Moses, he wants to send you and me. But here's what humans tend to do. Here we get into our polite excuses. We say, here I am, but oh, wait, anything but that. Verse 11, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, but I will be with you. Who am I? Remember the words from last week, who made you a prince and a judge? And God so sweetly tells him, it doesn't matter who you are. I will be with you. I have sent you. 
And I want to stress this so much. I really feel like it's not that Moses doesn't want to serve him. We saw last week that he was ultra passionate and super um, ready to just avenge his people. And I don't think it's that he doesn't have the desire to serve the Lord. Um, I think he doesn't feel worthy. This is a question of his identity. What does God say? It doesn't matter. I am with you. None of us are worthy. We have to start measure, we have to stop measuring our worth to do God's work. Our worth is in Christ. Then God says, and this sign, this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. So this may be referring to the bush that this moment that is happening right here, but I think it's more, I think it's in the future. I think the sign will be when they are on the mountain worshiping, like he says they're going to, and they're going to be looking back. That is going to be the sign. And, um, God is simply just saying, trust me, you will see. Then we have polite excuse number two. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. So God or Elohim is more of a title. It's a, um, stop it. You stop. Yep. I see you. <laughs> um, I am proud of my mispronounced words. So just know that, uh, there were, there were many false deities in, in, Egypt. And so God right now to use the name I am is claiming his character and his mission, his holy and set apart deity. I think I might have, did I miss something? No. Uh, so to use the name I am, God is claiming his character and his mission. And we see three main claims here that I want us to be sure to, to point out. So number one, mystery or incomprehensibility. Like we just can't, it's, there's always this mystery around our God and he is incomprehensible and it's beautiful. Um, the second, immutable or eternal. God is saying I am and I will continue to be forever what I am. And the third one, self-existent, self-sufficient. We talked a little bit about this at the bush a minute ago, but um, God is uncreated and needs nothing to exist. He does what he wants. What? <laughs> Stop it. Leave me alone. Um, hey, this is recording, Anna. This is Anna Lovato. This was her fault. <laughs> so, um, and this is what I really love about Devoted and um, what we do here because we are steeped in these attributes. If you've been with us from the beginning, um, you have a good uh, hold on, on what we are talking about here. And um, we can take any attribute, any name of God, any promise, and that this is I am. This is what we will get to see all the way through the book of Exodus. That's 
the, the whole book of Exodus is I am and God reveals himself. I am and God reveals himself. And every, every chapter we're going to see God revealing himself to his people and to all the people around them, including us. So our homework made the connection between I am Jesus in John 8. Jesus is the name above all names. The only name that saves, we must believe and trust in Yahweh to have eternal life. Verse 15, God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. So again, that eternal claim, this is my name forever. This is your promise forever. I am Yahweh, your God, the one who is, who was, and is to come. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to him, say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac and of Jacob has appeared to me saying, I have observed you. I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. So the elders are significant here. We have to point out that Yahweh is a God of order. He has an order for our families, for our churches, for everything he calls us to. And listen to the assurance and the details he gives. And they will listen to your voice. And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now, please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So God is compassionate to Moses's insecurities. God first addresses Moses's fears. Your people will accept you. God is providing this team for Moses. He won't be alone. God is with him and God's people will be with him. And there's a lot of repetition in these um, verses that we're going through right now. And it reminds me of Genesis when God just keeps repeating the covenant and he keeps repeating the covenant. And you think like, why is he saying it again and again and again? It's important. And God wants them to understand, wants Moses to understand. So, um, and then he gives even more direction. Y'all are going to go make a request and it's going to be denied. So God is omniscient. He knows everything. And it's crazy to think that being denied is part of the plan. Mm -hmm. And I think it's so much in our life. I've learned um, in my personal relationship to God, if I'm hearing something and I feel like I'm supposed to say something or do something and... I act in obedience and I'm rejected that it doesn't matter. Like it doesn't matter if that person receives what I'm saying or if I get the response that I think I'm supposed to. Um, God only wants my obedience. And sometimes it doesn't have anything to do with he's even asking me to do. It's just, will I be obedient? And um, the rest is up to him completely. So everything we do is compelled by whose hand? 
here in the text and in our lives. It's the mighty hand of God. Everything we do. Verse 20 says, I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and daughters. So you shall plunder the Egyptians. Yahweh will do it. Yahweh will give these people favor. This is a picture of justice. The Israelites have worked ruthlessly, and not only will they be set free, they will receive compensation for their work. Colossians 3.23 tells us to whatever we do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for man. And Galatians 6.9 tells us to not become weary in doing good. In due season, we will reap if we do not give up. Last week, we saw the women rewarded for their faithfulness, and this theme of reward is heavy in this text tonight. The milk and honey, the vast land, the riches, the silver and gold jewelry. One day, we too will reap a heavenly reward. We will be with Jesus for eternity. Polite excuse number three. Then Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. God has reassured Moses with his words, and now he's going to reassure him with action. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. So God said he would deliver his people by his hand. And now we turn our attention to Moses's hand and an ordinary tool, a staff. This is a tool of his trade. So don't miss that the very hand that struck down the Egyptian last week in his own power is now going to be yielded to the Lord and his power. It's redemption. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses ran from it. So the fact that Moses is frightened here points out that this is all through the power of Yahweh. It is not Moses and it is not the staff. Yahweh is displaying the power of his hand through Moses. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it and it became a staff in his hand that they may believe that the Lord, the God of our fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. So not only do we get a picture of God working through Moses, but we also see that the hand of Moses has been equipped to handle the serpent king. God is giving Moses his authority and power. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to this sign, they may believe the latter sign. So we have a pattern here. God commands, Moses obeys, the miracle happens. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground and the water 
that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. So how will he draw the water? With his hand. The source of Moses' sin has become the means in which God will choose to reintroduce himself to his people. It's redemption. Polite excuse for... And then Tanea pointed out, um, as she was making the slides, like, first it's questions. He's questioning. And then it slowly starts morphing into statements. So at first he's questioning. And then it's like they've become statements about himself. It really is so heartbreaking. But Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, I am not elegant, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. But I am slow of speech and of tongue, and I have in my notes, and just me too, Moses, me too. <laughs> if there was ever a more fitting verse for me, it's so great. Um, papyrus. <laughs> oh. So, um, then the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth, who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. So the Lord loves to redeem our greatest weakness um, so that the people will know that it is in his power and not in our own. How many of us have withheld a witness because we were worried about what we would say um, or what they might think of what we say every Monday night? (laughs) Uh, The Holy Spirit does the regenerating work here. So any time that you go to have that conversation or to say what you're going to say, you have to trust that the Holy Spirit has already done the work. He's already moved in that person's heart. So we have pretty good chances So go, therefore, let the Lord be with your mouth and teach you what to speak. Polite excuse five. But he said, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Last week we saw Moses was content to dwell in Midian. And we have to wonder if he's gotten a little too content. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And I want us to approach these verses rightly. God is a God of wrath but it's righteous anger. He doesn't lose his temper or throw baby tantrum fits. He is slow to anger. So God is rightly angered in this passage. And God is angry. It made me ask my question, if God is angry at us when we make excuses for our calling. And I think the answer is yes. I think he's angry. I don't think he's going to shoot us down with a lightning bolt or pour out his wrath. But I think he is angry because God is paternal. He's a father. And I know for me, when my kids make excuses of something that I know they have the potential to do, that's where my anger comes from. Um, He sees Moses' strength. He sees his gifts. He gave them to him. He knows his potential just as he knows all of ours. So um, the anger is right and good, and there's a reason for it. He knows better. And he said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. So how does God respond graciously? But it's important to mention that Moses is the one that misses out here. 
Many times in the word, the youngest brother gets the blessing. God is giving him, the youngest brother, the blessing. And in a sense, Moses is selling his priestly birthright here. Isn't Aaron your brother a Levite? Aren't you a Levite? Are you not just as worthy? How often do we have Moses' mindset? We don't see our privilege in God's plan. We see our deficiencies and we trade the honor of serving the great I am and experiencing the joy of fulfilling our God-given purpose. We miss out. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth and I will be with your mouth. And with his mouth, I will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. So out of his graciousness, God is going to use Aaron. Because God knows, because God is good and knows everything, he isn't shocked by Moses' response. And God meets him right where he is. God will speak to Moses, and Moses is given the authority to speak the words of God to the people through Aaron. Again, we see our first prophet, Moses. And Aaron will become the first priest, but as we will see in the chapters to come, not without fault of his own. Verse 17, And take in your hand the staff which you shall do the signs. So God will be with Moses, and the staff is a reminder. And verse 20 is called the staff of God. The people will be with him. Aaron will be with him. And most importantly, God will be with him. <coughs> Moses returns to Egypt for 18 through 26. So Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. Did anybody else wonder if he was hoping that Jethro would be like, mm, nope. <laughs> he was hoping that Laban from uh, Genesis with his, was his father-in-law. I'm like, I'm going to need you another seven years and another seven years. I've got stuff for you to do. But it is interesting that he doesn't mention anything about what just took place. And he knows his people are alive because... He knows his brother is alive and he's going to go deliver his people. And why didn't he disclose any of this to, did he? Did he want him to be like, no, it's not that important. Just stay here. I don't know. Uh, verse 19. And the Lord said to Moses and Midian, go back to Egypt for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his son and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. So there's so much to unpack in these next few verses, and we don't have time to unpack everything that I would like to unpack. But 
Um, I'm going to simply point out here that this is a claim of victory and justice before the battle even begins. Pharaoh slaughtered Israel's sons in the last chapter to prevent an army. Ironically, Pharaoh's entire army, every son, will be wiped out. If they don't die in the Passover, they will be swallowed up by the sea. Um, Ironically, the Egyptians drowned Israel's babies in that uh, in the river and so these men will drown as well first Corinthians 2 9 and God's plans beyond his people's ability to imagine applies here too it goes the other way like it's crazy the promise to curse those who curse his beloved people that's why it's always best for us as God's people to forgive others when they trespass against us because we can trust that Not only will he love us and care for us and provide for us and do all of those things that we can't imagine, he will take care and vengeance is his and we need to leave it to him. Just forgive. At a lodging place on the way, okay, verse 24, here it is. We've all been waiting and I'm afraid I'm going to disappoint you. Um, We're definitely not all going to agree here. Let's just put it out there. I hope you all had some good conversations in small group. Okay, verse 24. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. So this language reminded me of the bizarre things that took place in Genesis with Abraham. God just commissioned Moses, and now he's going to kill him or even possibly his son, We don't um, remember when God promised Abraham a son and asked him to sacrifice him. It's the same strange type of illustration. Like, I'm going to make all these promises and do all of these things, and you're going to be part of it, and I'm going to, and then now now you're going to die. It just is the weirdest ever. Um, But what was the purpose in with Abraham? It was, Mm -hmm. did Abraham trust God? Mm -hmm. Was Abraham together with God? Um, And then in verse 24, we don't even know, the text doesn't say who he's even referring to. Is he going to kill Moses? Is he going to kill Moses' son? We don't know. Um, But here's what we do know for sure. Disobedience or sin equals death. That's a fact. So circumcising was a sign of cutting away the flesh, also referred to as circumcision of the heart. Deuteronomy 36 says, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, that you may live. Romans 2, 28 through 29 says, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a heart of is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. So this is definitely a confrontation based on Moses's uh, on Moses and his family's allegiance to Yahweh. Moses couldn't go back with him or his descendants resembling the enemy. 
So I did find out reading that some Egyptians were also circumcised. There's proof when they dug up all the, the mummies, the Egyptian mummies, and there's proof that they too were circumcised. So we can see by this, this is about Moses's heart, not about his physical, um, whatever is happening with him or his son or whatever is happening. So if Moses wasn't faithful with a little, he couldn't be trusted with a lot. That is the purpose of what is happening here. I think, I mean, we've got a lot of opinions going on. Uh, verse 25, then Zephora took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses's feet with it and said, surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. It was then that she said, a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. So then we have this weird ceremony taking place here. It's just weird. And, but Abraham also had a weird ceremony in Genesis. If you're with us, you remember it. Tanea taught on it. Um, so commentary alludes to the possibility that Moses may have been extremely sick. And that's why Zephorah has to step in. And again, we have Moses being saved by another woman. And we remember, if we remember, and if you want to go read it for yourself, Genesis 15 is where this is found. Abraham, too, was incapacitated during his weird ceremony with God. And why? Because Abraham was not the focus and because Moses is not the focus. Mm -hmm. God is. Neither men perform any act because God is the initiator and the authority of all covenants. He really isn't writing on all of Moses's, like none of this is writing on any of Moses's hangups. This is all about God, his plan, his power, his way, every single bit of it. So right after Abraham's ceremony, the covenant of circumcision is given to all the males in Abraham's house. This was the sign of the covenant. The covenant we are seeing with our own eyes in Exodus playing out. To be a great nation, to go into a land, to be numerous as the stars. Yahweh is a God of order. He doesn't change. The requirement is still the same. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all of you. <laughs> Love him with all of you. <laughs> So we get this beautiful overshadow of when you go and look up um, the blood, it's the visible blood from the circumcision. So we have this beautiful overshadow of the visible blood of the sun saving. These men have one condition in the covenant then, and we have ours now, and it's Jesus. Trust in the blood of the Son to give us life where there once was death. So why the weird feet? Here's what I think. This is, and this is, I don't, I didn't get this from anywhere. This is me just wrestling with this and going with this. So God had called to Moses in chapter three, and he told him not to come any closer. Here in chapter four, God is saying, don't go any further. So Zephora touches or throws for those of you that think she's angry and is like, I mean, I'm, I don't know. <laughs> Y'all do with it what you want. She touches or throws his feet and joins with her husband, her bridegroom of blood, into relation with the one true God. The blood appeases God's wrath. That's 
what I have in that weirdness for y'all. I hope, I don't know. We could have coffee because we could talk about it for days and days. <laughs> so, um, reunion of Moses and Aaron. Hey, remember when I wanted to have a Nephilim um, birthday party? <laughs> Woo! <laughs> this one does not apply there. Um, so, verse 27. The Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went together together, all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed down their heads and worshiped. All the people believed. We finished tonight with unity. Unity with Yahweh, unity with Aaron, and unity with his people. Moses has answered Yahweh's call.